All right, good morning, everyone. I want to uh, thank our sponsor this morning. Rachel Gruen, in loving memory of her beloved mother, Esther Malka Bas Yisrael, and Harriet Goldman, in memory of the yurt site of her husband, Hilton Goldman, the Neshama should have an aliyah through our study of the Parsha together. We pick up with Parsha's Peshalach. The uh, narrative, the story continues to unfold. Every year we read it as if it's for the first time in suspense, eager to see what's going to be, what's going to happen. Jewish people have left Egypt and they become trapped between the proverbial rock and hard place, the Egyptians in pursuit behind them, and the sea threatening before them. And our parsha begins, It was when Paro sent out the people, we're in the Art Scroll Stone Chumash, page 366, for those who are following. Chazal note that the word Vayihi is a, has a negative connotation. Vayihi is always a term of sorrow, of sadness. Why is there sadness? Jewish people have just left. 210 years of oppressive slavery, of servitude. Finally, they're free. What do you mean Vayihi? Where's the sadness? And the answer is in the next two words. Vayihi... Bishalach Paro. And it was when Paro sent them out. Let me ask you a question. Did Paro send them out? Ten times nature was interfered with, divine providence and miracles occurred, revelation of the Ribbono Shalom unlike any other time before, and in response, the Jewish people go free. Why would the Torah attribute the freedom to Paro? Bishalach Paro. When Paro liberated them, Paro didn't liberate them. The Ribbono Shalom liberated them. And perhaps that's the answer of the Vayihi. See, when the Jewish people first left Egypt, they had been taken out of Mitzrayim, but Mitzrayim had not yet been taken out of them. They continued to carry with them the sense of subjugation, of submission to Paro. They carried Paro with them. So Bishalach Paro. Paro went with them when they left Mitzrayim. The word Bishalach can mean not sent, but the word Bishalach can mean to accompany. Bishalach Paro, Esa'am. When the Paro went with the people, and that's why, Lo Nacham Elokim Kikarovu. Pen Yinachem Ha'am Birosam Mitzrayim, Melchama Veshavu Mitzrayimah. They still feel beholden to Paro. They have nostalgia for Mitzrayim. Maybe because they remain so close, they'll turn around and they'll go back. And we can't understand that. Who would go back to the ghetto, the concentration camp, to Mitzrayim? What was the fear? What was the Rebona Shalom worried about? But the Jewish people at this point were conducting themselves like an abused spouse who is abused physically, emotionally, verbally, and though they know they deserve to be treated better, and though they're sick and tired of the way they're treated, psychologically somehow they remain imprisoned, and they struggle to liberate and let themselves go. They keep going back, and they keep excusing, because what they had, at least they knew what was, there was a level of comfort. And the Jewish people are the abused people of Paro in Mitzrayim, and they carry their abuser with them, Bishalach Paro. And that's why it's Vayihi. It's so sad. They weren't yet ready to go free. What is the catalyst? What is the impetus that sets them free? No longer anything that the Ribbono Shalom does. When they find themselves stuck in that hard place between the Mitzrim and the Amsuf, they do what one would think would give Kadosh Baruch Hu, tremendous nachas. What would give God joy? What do they do? What are we encouraged to do in any moment of anxiousness or worry? Daven. Say to him, I'm supposed to daven. Isn't that the Jewish answer? Isn't that what God heard originally that precipitated the whole Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim? Vayizaku, he heard the cries of the Jewish people. So they say, you know what? That worked once. Let's try it again. Let's daven. Everyone stop. 
take out your phone, open the Tehillim app, say Tehillim, and surely Hashem will save us. And what's Hashem's response? No. Hashem's response, go to page 370. As if incredulous. Why are the people da- What's going on here? Why are they davening? What are they saying to Hillam? Tell them to start walking. Tell them to go. What are they doing? Why wouldn't Akarish Baruch Hu say, a give the Jewish people a hug? Such nachas, I have such pride. They've been trained so quickly that in a time of need, reach out to me. Instead, he says, what are they doing? What do you do? What are you, what's the Tehillim rally? What's going on? Get to work. Start walking. Why did Hashem, in Mitzrayim, it was all His intervention. He brought the makos, the plagues. Now He says, what do you want from me? Get started. Start walking. I think perhaps, Kodesh Baruch God understood that what would liberate them finally from Paro, what would set them free, what would allow them to believe in a better future and a freer future, was not something imposed from without, but when finally from within, they would take action. They would bring about their own redemption. They would do something. You know, prayer takes two forms. We daven with our words, and we daven with our deeds. You can't say, oh, I'm sick, I'm not going to go to the doctor. I am especially righteous. There's a famous Ramban, there's a whole discussion. But we don't believe in... I'm not going to go to the doctor. I'm not going to take the medicine. If the Rebona Shalom wants me to get better, I'll dive and I'll get better. Who needs a doctor? Who needs medicine? Scientology? Who needs to go? I'm not going to work. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to read Parsha Saman. I'm sure everyone got the emails. I won't have a job. I'm going to pay FPL and the water company and the Publix with the Parsha Saman. I'll sit and I'll say Parsha Saman, our Parsha, and miraculously Parnassa will fall from the heavens. We don't believe in that. We believe you have to take initiative. A person has to show effort. Heshtadlis. Now the effort is not because the result that comes, and this is a critical point that's lost on most. The result that we achieve is not corresponding with the effort we put in. The result is dependent on God has to bestow the blessing upon us. But the key, the code, the password, the means to access that bracha that's waiting for us is twofold. You got to daven with words and you have to daven with deed. You have to show initiative, effort, willingness, sometimes sacrifice, and you have to attribute the success to Hashem through the exercise of tefillah through davening. Jewish people had come too dependent, too reliant, sitting back on the couch. Vayizaku, they daven to Hashem, make the Parnassah fall from Shemayim. We're not going to form an army. Everyone's going to sit. Hashem wants the Jewish people to continue to exist. Who needs the army? No, you need an army. We have halachas of Mechamez Rishus and Mechamez Mitzvah who's conscripted and at what age? Ay, where's the Amuna? Where's the bitachon? What do you need an army? Of course you need to show initiative. Do we attribute the success to our brave soldiers? Absolutely we do. But their success couldn't come without the consent, the support of Hashem. I have a brother-in-law who's a lawyer. He always tells me. He has a wonderful um, law firm. And he's an excellent lawyer if anyone needs a lawyer in Israel. But he always tells me. He has to put in time to be a rainmaker. You got to make contacts, you got to network, you got to show initiative, you got to produce business. And he always tells me he sees the Yad Hashem every week because he decides, you know, set aside some time to drum up new business. He'll send 10 emails and make 10 phone calls and make 10 meetings. And then a week later, he gets new business that had nothing to do with the initiative he showed. Somebody he once met, a person he went to camp with, a friend of his father, a friend of his... Uh, sent him business, someone he wants to business with a long time ago. He says, I know that I can't access the new business without my ishtadlis. My ishtadlis rarely correlates with the new business. 
So you have to understand, we don't do initiative because it's the initiative which will necessarily bring the success, but because Hashem waits for us to show initiative. We can't be passive and complacent and apathetic to our own destiny. We have to show the initiative. But we can't make the mistake of saying, it's my initiative which brought the success. Never mind God, I got the parnasa, I'm good, I don't need you. Never mind, have the children, have the nachas, have the health. Thanks, never mind, don't need you. It's that no, I showed the initiative and it was successful only because of you. So Hashem says, right now stop davening, start walking. Start networking, start making fun, start show, get to the doctor. You got to show initiative. Can't sit back and wait. Once heard the pshat, that's why at the Seder table, what do you get up and open the door for Eliyahu Anavi? He can't come down the chimney. He can go to every bris. He can be at every Seder simultaneously. He's got superhuman, supernatural, but he can't walk through walls or climb through the window. You got to get up and open the door. The answer is if you want Elio is the harbinger of redemption. You want Gula in your life. You can't sit. Four cups of wine, matzah, charosas. You can't sit and wait. Elio and Navi is going to come redeem you. Get up and open the door. You have to show some initiative. Opening the door is not because Elio can't come through the chimney. He can. Opening the door is because if you want Geula, if you want redemption, you've got to show some ishtablas, you have to show some initiative. So how will the Jewish people finally liberate themselves from Paro? Break free from that abusive, oppressive presence in their life? Not when they're passively waiting to be redeemed by others, but when they show the courage themselves. So Vayihi is a Lashon Avoya, it's a lashon of sadness. Because Bishaloch Paro, Paro went with them out of Egypt. God says, this is no good. We don't have a future here. I have a plan for this people. I have to give them the Torah. They have to go into a land. They have to be role models for the world. If Paro's still in their head, if Paro's still in their heart, if Paro still haunts them, I can't fu- we can't fulfill this mission. Vayihi is a sad Bishaloch Paro. Paro's still going with them. So what does he do? He orchestrates things that they have to show initiative. Nachshon ben Nadav shows initiative. I've shared with you in the past how there's a Tosefta in Brachus that wonders why is Yehuda Zoha from Malchus? Why Parshas Vayechi, God gives the promise to each of uh, Yaakov, excuse me, gives the promise to each of his children, the Brachus, predictions. And he says, Lo Yasu Shevet Mi Yehuda the Yehuda will have the monarchy. And why did Yehuda merit the monarchy? So you would have said, oh, Yehuda. Because he, you know, he's the one who convinced the brothers, don't kill him, sell. So the Tosefta says, what, are you going to reward him? Because he said, don't kill him, sell him. He still didn't say, let's bring him home and work it out. That can't be the reason. Oh, maybe because in the mice and the story with Tamar, because he said, Sod Kamimeni, she is more righteous than I. He was Moda al Ha'emes, Yehuda. That can't be, because still the Maisa Tamar was not a positive reflection of Yehuda. So wonders the Tosefta a third opinion. I think it's Rabbi Akiva. Why was Malchus given to Yehuda? Why did Yehuda have the monarchy? Tosefta says, you know why? Because Yehuda had the quality of leadership ingrained in his DNA to the extent that it was his descendant. It was his progeny that when everyone else stood on the shore, I can't like picture it like a like a shul, a Jewish people board meeting. I think that we should do that. No, we gotta do this. No, you do you tried that last time. It's like committee, the committee met, the Egyptians are coming, the sea's in front of us, the committee is debating, it's your fault, your idea is terrible, my idea, my aunt there, they're having a whole board a whole fight. And then all of a sudden, the corner of their eye, they see Nachshon ben Aminadav, he's not talking at the meeting. What does he do? Starts walking. Water goes to his ankles, to his knees, to his hips, to his chest, to his shoulders, to his neck. At any point, does he hesitate? Does he stop walking? Keeps walking. He jumps in. Leadership is example. Leadership is jumping in. 
It's not telling everyone else what to do. I have a great idea for the shul leadership what they should do. I have a great idea for a fundraiser for you to run. I have a great idea for a program for you. I have a great idea for you. Nashon doesn't say I have a great solution for you. One of you should start walking in. Maybe you'll drown, but maybe it'll split. Who knows? I have a great idea for you. Nashon ben Aminadav starts walking. And so the Tosefta concludes, Yehuda got Malchus, because leadership is about, while everyone else is pointing fingers and offering suggestions and shutting down everyone else's suggestions, leadership is jumping in. One foot in front of the other, and to start walking. Now before this, go back a little bit. We're still in our overview of the Parsha, which is becoming to take more and more of the, I've noticed, of the class. But if you go back, Moshe is ready to leave Mitzrayim. He goes back for one last thing. What does he go get? It's not the picture albums. It's not the precious jewels. What did he forget? He didn't forget. What did he make sure to go get? Moshe fulfills a promise. Yosef made his brother's promise. That when you leave here someday, get me out of here. Take me out of here. The ha'alisem, elevate my bones. Ha'alisem, why elevate? Mitzrayim is the lowest place on earth spiritually. And the destination is the highest place on earth. Aliyah. The ha'alisem, get my bones out of here. By the way, Bokerton Synagogue is purchasing a section of the... A uh, cemetery in Israel in Beit Shemesh. People will be able to buy plots. We're going to have a meeting. If you want to learn more about it, you'll see an email, a weekly. Get me out of here. I don't remember if I mentioned it here. I was in Cuba a few weeks ago for the day. Rabbi Smolarsik was with us. And he was born in Cuba. But his family left right away after the revolution. He was never back there. We went to the Jewish cemetery. He had the opportunity to be at the grave of his grandfather for the first and probably only time. The grave of his grandfather, marble, beautiful. He died August 19, what year was the revolution? Okay, got Machlokas here, committee, Baruch Hashem. Whatever in the late 50s was the revolution. He was born two months before the, he died rather two months before the revolution. And Rabbi Slarsik remarked how that August of that year, when his grandfather died and buried, 15,000 Jews in Cuba, most of whom had fled from Europe, and they were a thriving Jewish community. You schools and kosher restaurants and food. His grandfather was buried with an ornate marble headstone. Within two months, his family had left Cuba, fled Cuba. His grandmother is buried here in Miami. They're not even side by side. And there's nothing in Cuba today and a very bleak future. And he and I were talking... That's why the only place to be buried in the world where you can be confident that your great-great-grandchildren will visit, will be, if not permanent residents, but at least coming through, is Israel. In Cuba, they thought, what do you mean? They'll be coming here forever to visit. So, anyway, I'm doing a little sale for a little pre-sale for our uh, cemetery section. A little marketing. So, Yosef made him promise, Moshe fulfills the promise. Says Rabbi Salavechik in his... The Chumash of the Rav. On the night the Jews were ready for the triumphant exodus from Egypt, the Medrash relates that Moshe searched for Yosef's coffin, Shmos Rabbah Chaf. In this way, Moshe acknowledged the importance of Yosef and his spiritual mission as the paragon of Jewish commitment in exile. Yosef had demonstrated that one could identify as a Jew and act in accordance with Jewish precepts, both in poverty as a slave and in royal grandeur as the ruler of Egypt. Without his example and his precedent, Jews could not have endured the centuries of enslavement in Egypt. It's very beautiful imagery. It's not that Moshe is telling us, Moshe remembered, oh yeah, one last thing, let me go back. But Moshe made a ceremony of it. Moshe made a point of it. We're leaving Mitzrayim. We're going to transition from slaves to free people. You know who our paradigm is? Our role model is? We're bringing the Aaron of Yosef. Yosef had endured the slavery, and when Yosef became free, did he lose his values he had learned from his father Yaakov? For Yosef, freedom didn't mean dropping his values and morals, 
his teachings and the Torah of his father, he carried it with him. And that's what Moshe was communicating. By bringing Aaron Osho Yosef, he was telling Klai Yisrael, like Yosef, when we go from slavery to freedom, we don't change our values and our Torah and who we are. Why was Moshe, asks the Rav, so dedicated to this task? Commentators suggest it's because he was the grandson of Levi, Yosef's greatest antagonist. Shimon and Levi are brothers. With their will, they hamstrung a bull. Parshas Vayechi. Levi was among the greatest of scoffers as Yosef recounted his dreams. But through his great descendant Moshe, Levi vicariously acknowledged his mistake. The Gemara Sota Davchaf Medbeis comments that when Moshe took Atzmos Yosef with him, Moshe both physically carried Yosef's coffin and internalized Yosef's legacy. Moshe acknowledged that the entire nation owed their everlasting gratitude to Yosef, not only for their physical well-being, but perhaps mainly for his spiritual leadership and example as represented in his second dream. The belated recognition constituted the complete fulfillment of the dream, the sun, the moon, the eleven stars. Could there be a more beautiful example of such reconciliation than Moshe carrying Yosef's coffin on his shoulders? Yosef's spiritual mission on earth was now validated, his second dream fulfilled in its entirety. What a beautiful image. It wasn't a, it wasn't a, a burden it wasn't a to-do list. Oh yeah, don't forget the co- we got to bring the coffin. Someone asked us to bring a piece of luggage to Israel. Coffin, Yosef. You know, you have extra room to bring my bones when you go to Israel. It wasn't, you know, you had to find that extra piece of luggage. It might have been overweight. For Moshe, this was a teaching opportunity. He was communicating from slavery to freedom. We are unchanged and unwavering in who we are and the values we hold dear, just like Yosef. And that Yosef's vision for the Jewish world is fulfilled by his greatest antagonist, Levi's own grandson, carrying Yosef not only on his shoulder, but carrying him, excuse me, in his heart as well. Okay, continuing. So, Nashem and Aminadav starts walking, sees splits, and afterwards... The Mitzrim follow into the sea at Paro's urging. They were exhausted. They had plague fatigue. They had been through it all. They were done. But Paro, this is also such a, a lesson that when a person is meshugal adover echad, when a person becomes obsessed, they become self-destructive. Paro was so obsessed with the Jewish people, cost him everything. He could have turned back to Mitzrayim. Good, they're gone. Let's get back to being the world's greatest empire. With the world's biggest economy, we'll learn to transition, they're gone. But he didn't. He brought about his own demise and the end of his kingdom because he was so obsessed with the Jewish people. And therefore, he forced his army to follow into the sea where the walls of Yamsuf came crashing down and destroyed them all. And how did the Jewish people react? They react with a song. They react with a song. Now before the song, Vayar Yisrael Seyerak Dosh Rasa Hashem Mitzrayim, Vayiru Ha'ames Hashem, Vayaminu Bashem, Uve Moshe Avdo. Standing there at that moment on the opposite side of the sea, their pressure of 210 years is now drowned, gone. Finally, they're free, free. They've been taken out of Egypt, Egypt has been taken out of them. They've showed necessary initiative. They've learned the value of effort. And they have this now tremendous clarity on life. And they feel profound faith. But that's not enough. They not only have faith, but as well in Uve Moshe Avdo. It's very troubling. Emuna in Moshe? Very dangerous, slippery slope. We are to have Amuna in Hashem. We equate in the Pasuk, Vayaminu Bashem Uve Moshe Avdo. Their faith was equally in God and in Moshe. Say it every day. What do you, what's your Kavana when you say it? What does that mean? It's very dangerous. 
The Ibn Ezra and later the Gra find the, that suggestion so troubling, so untenable, that they reinterpret the Pasuk. That Vayaminu Bashem, they had faith in Hashem, Uve Moshe, and that Moshe was Avdo. Their faith was that Moshe was a loyal servant of Hashem. Lest you think the faith was in Moshe. But the Alshech has a different pshat. My friend Rabbi Baum shared this with me. The Alshech, based on the Zohar, reads it literally. Here's what the Alshech says, Parashas B'Shalach. Ze al-Erev Rav. Ach Yisrael, lahutzrachu l'kach. Ki mitchilo yiruas Hashem v'yaminu b'Hashem. Yisparach. Who are the ones who have this inappropriately placed faith? It was the Erev Rav. Of course, we, our faith is that Moshe Avdo, like the Ibn Ezra and Gro. The faith is that Moshe is the loyal servant of Hashem. But we only have faith in Hashem. We do not have faith in even our greatest leaders. There's a great danger. We've seen it. Charismatic leadership. Who people believe in them. And then when the person's imperfections come through, sometimes small and sometimes great, a person's faith in everything is shattered because they place too much faith to begin with in a person when they shouldn't have. There's an amazing Drushas Aran. The Ran in his Drushas writes that Moshe had a speech impediment by design. Our greatest leader who had to walk into Paro and demand to be set free, who had to proclaim the Nevuah and the teaching of the Torah, of any deficiency to give him a speech impediment? Really? Hashem knew Moshe was going to be the mouthpiece, his mouthpiece to Paro, his mouthpiece to us. He had to give him a speech impediment? Says the Drusha Saran, absolutely. And you know why? So that nobody would hear the Torah and say, ah, there's no truth to it. It was a charismatic, persuasive orator who pulled the wool over their eyes. This charismatic personality had a cult-like following. He was so persuasive and so interesting, so compelling, that he made everyone believe something. Hashem says, no. Moshe has a horrific speech impediment. He's a terrible orator. But the information, the content is so powerful that it will carry the day. That's the danger of Moshe Avdo, says the Alshech, of the Erev Rav. Let's keep going. So Az Yashir Moshe. Finally, we're up to Az Yashir. We'll, actually, let's finish the overview. We'll come back to Az Yashir because that's where we're going to continue studying. It's where we last left off last year. Afterwards, Miriam grabs her instrument. Why had she have instruments? She found instruments in the desert. How did Miriam have instruments? It's the faith of women. Women have roa es hanolad. Women are given the holiday of Rosh Chodesh. Women didn't contribute to the Egel. Why? They always see a little bit ahead. They're not caught up in the moment. They have a vision. Miriam had faith they were going to get out. Her instruments were packed and ready to go. She knew there would be an opportunity to play them and to celebrate the redemption they were going to have. It doesn't take long, three days, no water, and already the people are complaining. No water to drink. They got to a place called Mara. There was no water to drink. Why? I think I told you this last week. Who is the Haim? They couldn't drink water because they were bitter. So the simple understanding is they were bitter. What was bitter? The water. Says the Katskarebi. You know what was bitter? The miserable complainers. They were so fabisana, so miserable, so negative. You just got out of Mitzrayim. Yeah, you just... There's always something to complain about. Kimarim Haim. The missing tile syndrome. Take people into a room... Everyone will say, oh, it's a beautiful room, tall ceilings, nice art of Kodesh, beautiful near Tamid, stained glass windows. There'll always be someone who says, you know, the light bulb's out there. Why is the light bulb out there? 
Psychologists have studied this. It's called the missing tile syndrome. You walk into a room, you see the whole ceiling, you could see an entire, what do you call it when you make it out of tiles, a picture? A mosaic, right? So there's the type of personality you see. It's a beautiful mosaic, magnificent. You see the person who says to the tour guide, this mosaic, which is uh, 2,000 years old, it's missing, I want my money back. The mosaic is missing. Count up, three from the right, the, the little tile's missing. So, Kimarim Haim, says the Kotzke Rebbe. They were bitter, all they saw was bitterness. Kimarim Haim, Al-Kain Karashma Mara, when you're bitter, you'll see everything is bitter. Vayalon Hashem, they stayed there, they found something to drink, Hashem made a miracle. Sham Sam Lachoku Mishpat Vasham Nisohu, at Mara, God already began to give to... to give the Torah, certain mitzvos, debate which mitzvos exactly were given at Mara, Shabbos, but certain mitzvos already were given. Fine. They came to Elim Hashem, Enos Maim, Shem Jewish people begin their travels, and they're hungry. Where are you going to find food? There's no Publix in the desert. There's no multiple kosher markets to purchase from in the desert. Where are they going to find food? I have to be politically correct. Where are you going to find food? Because creates what the Ibn Ezra writes in our Pasha is the biggest miracle. More than the ten plagues, more than the splitting of the sea, you know what the biggest miracle in this episode says the Ibn Ezra is? The Mun. That's the biggest miracle? That's it? We're going to run out of time. So you'll have to... Another time we can talk about that. Why would the Ibn Ezra consider the Mun? And the name of the man is peculiar. What should this divine food that falls from heaven, that tastes like anything you want, that you never go hungry, what should we call it? What does man mean? Stuff. You go to Israel, you want a slice of pizza, what do you ask for? Vakashat enli. Maneh, man. Can I have a portion of the stuff? It's a portion. This divine food, we couldn't come up with a better name than Tainli Mana. Give me a portion. There was a thing going around, you might have seen it on email, that uh, Donald Trump will bring Mashiach, because apparently Donald Trump in Gematria is Melech HaMashiach. <laughs> so Rav Shmuel Eliyahu, Rav Shmuel Eliyahu, the chief rabbi, I think, of Tzfat, said, you know what else is the same Gematria of Melech HaMashiach and Donald Trump? Chatsi Mane Falafel. That's what he said. So before you put such faith, maybe have a half a falafel and Mashiach will come. Before you put such faith in these gematrias. So why was it called Man? Man, a portion. A little bit. Okay, we're out of time. We can't talk about that now. Fine. Shabbos. Water, the rock, complaining. And the parsha ends with the story of Amalek. Amalek attacked the Jewish people and do we defeat them? No. We limp away. Amalek doesn't defeat us, but neither do we defeat them. Moshe stands there, and Aaron and Hur on either side. Yoshua leads the battle against Amalek on the bottom of the mountain. Moshe's on top of the mountain, Aaron and Hur holding up his hands. When his hands are raised, they win. When they're lowered, they lose. And Mishnah and Rosh Hashanah asks, V'chiyadav Moshe osos mochama? I think there's a London school boys choir song like this. But the hands of Moshe make you victorious? That's what does it? And the Mishnah and Rosh Hashanah says no. And the song, say no. If when their hands were raised, the people look clapishmaya, they knew that, like we were talking about before, Yoshua is down there showing all of his initiative. You're out there fighting infantry and uh, paratroopers and intelligence. You're out there fighting. But his hands to the Shemayim makes you remember that's the initiative, the success comes from above. Why were Aaron and Hur the ones chosen to hold up Moshe's hands? I'll tell you a beautiful idea. Of Gedaya Shor in his Or who says, Who's Khur? What do we know from Khur? When does Khur, how long does Khur live? How long do we know Khur for? 
What? Chur is killed when? Chet Egel. And the Jewish people are contributing to building the golden calf. And Chur is a zealot. He gets in front of them as a Kanai and he says, What are you doing? You're crazy. You can't do this. Absolutely not over my dead body. And you know what they say? Okay. <laughs> and they kill him. And over his dead body, they build the Egel. He dies. Chur is a Kanai. Aaron, what does he do with the Egel? He leads them on to believe he's with them because he's buying time for Moshe to come back. Was it the right thing to do? The wrong thing to do? We'll get to it. But Aaron is the Oiv Shalom Verodev Shalom. Says the Ogidayo, if we want to defeat our enemies, we need the Aaron and Chur working together. The, the, the peace now and the zealot, we need the right and the left, we need the Oiv Shalom Verodev Shalom together with the Kanai, each holding up Moshe's hands. And when the all sides can get together, get along on the inside, that's when we defeat Amalek, that's when we win the war, says the Oregidal Yahum. I wasn't likening Aaron to peace, Khalila. But I'm saying the, the, the peace side, the, the side that's pursuing the Oiv Shalom, Rodev Shalom, and the Kanai of Chur, when the two sides work together, hold up Moshe's hands, that's when you have victory. Let's go back. Az Yashir. Let's go back. So, the Medrash tells us on the Shira, we're going to pick it up, we're on Perak Tezvav, Pasuk, Beis, Gimel. That's where we, last year we started the Shira and we got all the way through Pasuk Beis. <laughs> Not bad. So this year we pull it up, pick it up from Pasuk Gimel. Baruch Atah Adonai Eloheinu Malach HaOlam, She'akol Nye Bidvarom. The Shira. The Medrash says, Shmos Rabbach of Gimel Dalad, Miyom Shebora Kodesh Borochu Es HaOlam Va'ad Sha'omdu Yisrael Alayam, Lomatsinu Adam Sha'omar Shira, from the time God created the world till this moment that we're studying, nobody had said Shira. Hitzil Avram Ikiv Shana'eshem and Amalachim Velomar Shira. Avram was saved from the fiery furnace, the war with the kings. He was grateful, I'm sure, but he didn't sing Shira. Yitzchak minamachelas. Yitzchak is spared in the Akedah. No Shira. Yaakov minamalach min Esav min Shechem. Lo Amar Shira. We have examples of righteous patriarchs and matriarchs who undoubtedly were grateful for the miracles they experienced, but, says the Medrash, no Shira. I was waiting, finally, waiting for someone to sing Shira. I've been so good to everybody. Nobody sings Shira. Az, then. Now, finally, I've been waiting for someone to say Shira. And of course the question is, what do you mean? These were great people. None of them said Shira? How could it be none of them said Shira? It's a magnificent insight of the Slana Marebbe and his Nesiva Shalom. And he says, there's a difference between gratitude and Shira. Gratitude is what you recite for what you've just experienced. Something good happens to you, you receive a bracha, you got good news, everything is okay, you say thank you. Thank you for right now. Shira is when everything you went through, pain, suffering, struggle, all that you had endured that made no sense all along, but now brings you to a point where you can look back and make sense of it all. See how it contributed to bringing you where you are now. Shira is when you're not only grateful for what happened now, but you can retroactively look back and reflect and be grateful even for the things that you thought were miserable as you experienced them. No one had done that until now. And when the Jewish people stand opposite Yamsuf and they understand their destiny, 
And they see where they've come from. And everything makes sense. It's a complete picture. It's like the difference between you're looking at a painting from here, you see a dot, or you take a few steps back and you see the whole picture. Our life is made up of little dots. Most of them hopefully pleasant, some of them terribly unpleasant. And if we're focused on the unpleasant dot, the point in the canvas, then we become kimarimheim. You become bitter, miserable, ungrateful. But if you take back, take a step back and look at the canvas of your life, and you see that even those difficult points contributed to a total picture of who you are and where you are, then you can be filled with shira to the point of kolat mosai tomarna. Shira is not just sung with the lips. It's not just intellectually concluded in the head. It's not emotionally felt in the heart. It's kolat mosai tomarna. My whole being is filled with a sense of shira an overwhelming sense of gratitude, not just for the here and now, but for everything I've been through. You ready? Here's the kicker, the beautiful part of the Islamar. Why did the sea split? In whose merit did it split? Medrash tells us. Pasuk describes, the sea saw and it split. Frakta Medrash asked the Medrash, what did the sea split? See, what did the sea S-E-A See, what did it observe that it split? The Medrash says, you know what it saw? Arono Yosef. What's so special about Arono Yosef? Says the Medrash, Vayar Hayam Vayanas. And what did Yosef do when the wife of Potiphar came on to him? Vayanas Hachutza. He ran outside. Vayanas Vayanas. The same use of that word, it's in the merit of Yosef Atzadik that the sea split. So the simple understanding, Pashup Shat is, what, it's just a cute play on words, Vayanas, Vayanas, the Aaron of Yosef, the extra piece of luggage is being schlepped through the Yamsuf, it deserves to split. What's the connection? Simple understanding is that Yosef's natural inclination was to give in to the advances of the wife of Potiphar. When he resisted the inclination, he exhibited not natural but supernatural strength. Said the sea, or God to the sea, if Yosef could overcome his nature to live in a supernatural way, in his merit, you should override your nature and split that's the simple understanding. Says the Slanam Rebbe, an altogether new pshat. No. You know why the sea split? Who is the greatest model, the paradigm, of looking back at your whole life with a sense of appreciation of how it got you to where you are now? It's Yosef HaTzadik. When the brothers come down and they're afraid for their life, when Yosef reveals himself, what does he say? Hey, you think that I got here because of you? Don't worry, I'm not taking revenge. We're all good. I'm not going to take revenge against you. This was God's plan. I didn't realize it when I sat in the bottom of a pit with snakes and scorpions. I didn't realize it while I languished unjustly in a prison of Egypt. I didn't realize when 22 years I've been alienated from all of you. But now I understand that all of that was to get to here. Yosef, who felt such gratitude, is the paradigm. So it's Neschus Arono Shal Yosef, Vayana Sachutza, Neschus of a Yosef, who saw how it all came together, the big picture, that the sea split and the Jewish people saw the whole picture. So you'll ask, I wonder at myself, so why does the Medrash not say that Yosef sang Shira? Good question, I don't know. Here's the last part of the Dvar Torah. Here's the best part. Says the Slana Marebi, David Amal describes... When the redemption begins and we come back to the land of Israel, what, how, what will it feel like? We sing it every time on Shabbos, you eat bread. When God brings back Shivas Tzion, Hayinu will be like dreamers. Says the Stone of Rebbe, you know what the Pshat is? Hayinu kechomim, Hayinu kebal hachalomos will be like the dreamer, Yosef. 
that just like Yosef at that moment, that point in time understood how all of his personal history had led to that moment, when we finally come back to Israel, Hayinu Kechomim will be like the Balachalomas, like Yosef, will be able to look back at 2,000 years of Jewish history and understand how it brought us to this moment. Isn't that beautiful? In the merit of Yosef, the sea split, the Jewish people experienced that level of shira. And therefore, Chazal tell us in Sanhedrin Sadi Dalad that Kola Omer Shira Yom, anyone who says shira with all their strength every day, if you say the shira with concentration and with joy every day, you promised gate bracha. And we do that. We say az yashir. We say it. Now we just have to say it with all of our koach. And every day, so here's the imagery for you. You ready? Every day from now on when you say az yashir, imagine yourself taking a step back looking at the canvas of your life. Yesterday was a hard day. You're anticipating some difficulties tomorrow. Don't look at the point in time. Az Yashir. Like Yosef the Balachalomos, like Beshiva Hashem Meshiva Sion, like Bnei Yisrael Alayam. Take a step back and see the whole picture and be filled with a great sense of Shira. Okay, with 10 minutes left, let's start the class. We're on Pasuk Gimel. Az Yashir. Torah describes Hashem Ish Milchama, Hashem Shema. God is Ish Milchama, Hashem Shema. I was going to tell you a great Ravasha Weiss, but that aside for next year. Okay. Hashem Ish Milchama, Hashem Shema. God is described as Ish Milchama, which both of those words are peculiar. Ish why is God described as a person, A, and B, is God this violent, angry, warmongering, it's a modern word, God, Ish Milchama? Why is he described as an Ish, and why Milchama? Says Rashi, Hashem Ish Milchama means Baal Milchama, Kamo Ish Naami, Vachal Ish Vishech, Meturgamin, Baal. Ba'ish means not that God is a man. It's heresy. Of course God's not a man. In this context, Ish doesn't mean a human being, flesh and blood. Ish means God owns the war. God is the Baal HaMelchamos. He runs the war. He owns the war. It's His war. Why are we describing Him in this way? Milchama. So the Orachayim HaKadosh says, Perish, Gam b'midas harachamim asay milchama, v'lo sh'yishtanam b'pnei zechash v'shalom, ela Hashem shemo, al derech ki ani Hashem lo shanisi. O yirtzeh ki b'zman atzmo sh'asay milchama im ha-mitzrim, b'zman atzmo haya mesnaig b'midas harachamim im Yisrael. What the Pesach means is Hashem ish milchama, Hashem shemo. God can exhibit rachamim through din. His compassion for the Jewish people is to be, is to lack compassion to the Mitzrim. What's the famous quote? He who shows mercy to the, to the cruel will ultimately be cruel to the merciful. Who said that quote? It's a great quote. He who shows mercy to the cruel will ultimately be cruel to the merciful. Hashem has got it covered. He's the Ish Milchama, the Baal Milchama. He knows when to show Rachamim and when to show Din. And sometimes his showing Din is the greatest expression of Rachamim and says the Orachayim, that's what the Pasuk means and that's how the Pasuk is all working together. Svarno says similarly, Even though, you, you know, it's like Hashem is peaceful. By all means, he's the last to go to war. He doesn't want to fight. But if you're going to pick a fight, you're going to lose. <laughs> he's the Ish Milchama. So even though Hashem is Rachamim, he's Machris Rishoyim, Mikol Makam Hashem Shemo, but Midas Rachamim. In other words, he's Ish Milchama, but Hashem Shemo. He has the capacity to destroy you, but Hashem Shemo, his essence, is Rachamim. 
So on reflecting on what just happened, Moshe is singing that don't think Hashem's Rachamim will cloud his din. When he has to be cruel, he has it in him. He's the Bala Nochama. He'll take you down. But that's not his essence. At his core, he's Hashem Shemo. At his core, he's unwavering as, as with Midas Arachamim. Says Rashi, Hashem Shemo, Milchamosav Lobukli Zayin. You know what Hashem's weapon is? Our weapon of choice is, it's not the tank or the missile launcher, Hashem Shemo. It's the name of Hashem, which is our greatest weapon. I don't mean Kabbalistically, if you pronounce the right name in the right moment, the way Moshe killed the Mitzri by invoking one of the names of Hashem, there's an element of that. But I mean much more simply. When we talk about Hashem Shemo, that should remind you, What's our mission in life? To create a Kiddush? Hashem. What undermines our mission, sets back our mission? What is the worst thing that we can do in this world? Is instead of Kiddush Hashem, a Chilol Hashem. Hashem Shemo. How does Hashem find expression in this world? Through His name. Meaning, when we talk about Hashem, when we quote Hashem, when we attribute to Hashem, when we do things in Hashem's name, when we invoke Hashem, that's how He finds expression in this world. When we are Mekadesh Hashem, when we represent Hashem's name accurately and well and contribute positively to His expression in the world, we've made a Kiddush Hashem. And when we do the opposite, a Chilol, a Chalal is a vacuum. It's an emptiness, it's a vastness. We have erased Hashem. Hashem Shemo. God's expression in this world is through His name. Our mandate is to create a Kiddush Hashem and not Chalila ever a Chilol Hashem. Yemincha Hashem, we're going to skip ahead a little bit now. I had a lot of things to share here. But we're going to run out of time. So let's skip ahead. Pasuket Aleph. Michamocha boilim Hashem. Michamocha nedar bakodesh norasi ilos osefela. In describing Hashem, we say, Who is like you among the most powerful? Who is like you, powerful in the holy place? Too awesome for praise, performing incredible wonders. Right, it's so the part of Az Yashir, you start to get back to understanding the Hebrew and having Kavana again. Mika mocha Hashem, mika mocha. Why are we, what do you mean, mika mocha Hashem? Is Hashem competing with anyone? That we say, there's some powerful people, but Mika Mocha, you're, you're the most powerful. You win the award. Who is he competing with? Rashi says, Bachazakim, Ves Eilei Haaretz. Among the strong powers in the world, you surpass them. The Ibn Ezra says, Boilim, Malachi Mala HaKedoshim, Bnei HaKochavim. The angels, the stars, whatever it is, whatever the source of influence in the world, Hashem, you are the source and greater than all of them. But the Kliyakar has a different interpretation. Kliyakar, one that resonates greatly for me personally this week. Says the Kliyakar, in Gittin, quoting the Gemara Gittin Nunvav, that we should read it, not Micha Mocha Ba'ilim Hashem, but one should read it, Micha Mocha Ba'ilmim. What's an Ilaim? What's Ilmim? A mute. Says the Kliyakar, because it's close, Elim, Ilmim, just an extra Mem, because it's close enough. That's why you say, don't read it that way, read it this way? Come on. What's really going on? Says the Kliyakar. The context of that Gemara and Gittin is Titus HaRasha, Titus the wicked, comes into the Heichal. He pierces the parochas with a sword. He does many other things in the Kodesh HaKadoshim with the Sefer Torah, with a Zona. I'm not even comfortable describing what he does. He's Machari from Magadrik. He curses out, he insults, he offends the Almighty. And what does God do? He holds his lip. No response. 
He could humiliate Titus on the spot. He could destroy him. What does God do? Nothing. Nothing. And that's where the Gemara learns, You know what the greatest sign of strength is? When you don't lower yourself to stoop to the level of somebody who's acting in an unbecoming way. When you don't match their insults and their vitriol and their rhetoric and their name-calling and their Lashon Hara and their disgusting behavior, says the Kliyakar, what Chazal are telling us is, you think Kriyas Yamsuf was impressive? You think suspending the rules of nature, splitting the sea, the whole world knowing about it, you think that was impressive? You know what's even more impressive? That God was spat at, insulted, violated, and He was able to stay quiet. That's even more impressive. That takes even greater strength. The Gemara in Shabbos, Pechah says, that we should always act, we should always place ourselves among those we should always be among those who are insulted and who don't insult back. You don't have to match. We don't have to lower ourselves and get in the dirt. That's what we say. Anyone who's on the Yamuna WhatsApp group, they send out three or four times a week a quick thought of Yamuna. If you're not on one of the groups, let me know. I'm happy to add your, your phone number. So this morning I sent out on the WhatsApp group I didn't quote the Kliyakar, but I quoted the Gemara in Shabbos. This is David, when Shimi ben Geira curses out David HaMelech, and David's general wants to murder him, you know what David says? And the Sefer HaChassidim writes, that what David HaMelech was exhibiting is a precedent for us. What David was saying was, if I wasn't meant to be cursed out publicly and embarrassed right now, if Hashem didn't want that to happen, it couldn't happen. So you know what? To take it out on Shemi ben Geira is to deny that Hashem, for whatever reason, wanted this to happen. So Shemi ben Geira will pay the price. Hashem runs the world. What goes around comes around. He'll pay the price. I'm not worried. But I don't need to stoop to his level. I, later, right, when David HaMelech is about to die, Shemi ben Geira gets executed. Okay. But at that moment, David HaMelech says, Michamocha bo'ilim, michamocha bi'ilmin. Shashtil. Don't have to respond. Don't have to match that level of rhetoric. And maybe that's pshat. We say at the end of the Amida every day, Vilim kalalai nafshi sidon. To those who curse me, let my soul be quiet. Though they're cursing me, give me the strength to be quiet. Where can I find that strength? Nafshi. I'm a tzalem elokim. If God is micha mocha boilim bi'ilmim, if HaKadosh Baruch Hu, who is Kol Yachol, is all-powerful, could have wiped out Titus, but stays quiet in the face of that insult, then so too, I can be quiet. Because I'm a Tzalem Elohim, I can stay quiet as well. Rav Pam, I'll end with this. Rav Pam, Rav Pam said, you know, when a person's undergoing B'zayinus, Menanei when you're among those who are insulted and not those who insult back. He says, and a Rebbe of mine told me a story. A Rebbe of mine told me a story years ago about, not me, told a story in a sheer years ago about this. And I remembered it this week. I reminded him that I remembered it and how much I appreciated the story. That he was uh, on the dinner table with his family. The phone rang. He answers the phone. And his family just sees him. He starts, he's on the phone and he's dancing. He's got a big smile and he's dancing. He hangs up the phone. They ask him, you didn't say anything there was no conversation. You're dancing. Are you feeling okay? What is going on? What in the world is going on? So he explained this Rav Pam. Rav Pam says, you know, in life we undergo Yisurim. Some people have health problems. Some people have financial disasters. Some people have infertility. Some people have no nachas from their children. There's all kinds of Yisurim you could undergo. And says Rav Pam a Masora, that if somebody's insulting you, embarrassing you, Embrace it that that's your Nisayon. That's your Yisurin, rather. If that's your Yisurin, be grateful that it's in lieu of something more permanent, more painful, more lasting. If that's your Yisurin, says Rav Pam, you should sing and dance that you're getting away with that Yisurin instead of one that's so much greater. 
So he told his family, some guy called me and he was cursing me and yelling me and telling me everything I've done wrong. And he said, so I just remembered that Rav Palm and I danced it off. And I danced it off. And that's the Mesorah that we have. Michamocha bo'ilim Hashem, michamocha be'ilmim Hashem. The Rav has a beautiful alternative to michamocha be'ilmim. Mesalavitchik had a whole other pshat. The ability to stay silent, even when we don't understand. He talks about the notion of teku. How could you have Gemaras that end in teku? What do you mean? What's the conclusion? Sometimes we have questions that don't have answers, and our ability to be satisfied with the silence is an expression of strength and greatness. So I guess we'll start with this Amir Tzashem next year. Have a wonderful week. Everyone is invited to stay. Rabbi Moskowitz. Tonight, great rivalries are incredible.